Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined on a beautiful Wednesday morning by Nora Princiati. Nora, hello. Hello, Kevin. Stephen Ruiz. Hello, Stephen. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. couple of things. So we were going to do a top 10. We're going to start a series of top 10s uh, in the offseason. We were going to start that today with pass catchers. We're not going to do that. There's too much news. On Friday, we have a pass catcher. Speaking of pass catchers, uh, Cooper Cup will be joining us on Friday. We'll do an episode very similar to what we did with Justin Herbert a couple weeks ago, um, where we just talk ball, have a great time with him. Cooper obviously has a lot of good insights. Solak will not be joining us. He has a question he's been dying to ask since the Super Bowl. We will have him write it down, and one of us will deliver it to Cooper Cup because he is he desperately needs this question answered about a scheme in the Super Bowl. Um, but Cooper Cup will be with us on Friday. We'll have that episode to you for the weekend. Um, there is news to get to. We will get to it. Uh, Deshaun Watson, there's a new turn in his case. Jenny Brentis from the New York Times, it reported that Watson booked appointments with at least 66 different women in the 17 months from the fall of 2019 through the spring of 2021. Watson had put that number around 40 initially. Uh, most of the women that Watson saw for massages did not sue or call the police. Uh, but Verentis did speak to women who said that this was in the, within the group that did not sue, um, that Watson was begging for sexual activity. Um, this is obviously something Watson denies. Um, the scope of the story changed as well with the story because Jenny Verentis reported that the Texans provided a venue for some of these appointments and also that they had provided some non-disclosure agreements as well. Um, the Texans did not respond to the New York Times questions about this. But obviously, this changes a lot about the way we're processing the story. Nora, when you saw it, you thought what? Well, there's, we should differentiate between the civil litigation issues yeah. and the NFL's issues. In terms of the legal situation that Deshaun Watson's in, Lawyers look for patterns. Yep. 66 is a pattern. I don't really know how else you spin it. So, 
you could argue that how is 66, you know, really all that much more of a pattern than 22 or 24. But the numbers do matter here, even when many of these women, including many of the ones who have, have spoken out and accused Watson of these things, are not suing him. Some of them mm-hmm. are, but some of them are not. In terms of how the NFL looks at this, I, I have to be honest with you. I am a little bit at a loss. It was very difficult for me to read Jenny's reporting, which was incredibly thorough and well done, mm-hmm. and not think, how do they move forward from here? But I've thought that at other junctures in this case. And then right, the right. Browns signed him for $230 million. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absurd. Toughie. It's absurd. Uh, so just to get the the facts out there about uh, what's actually happening in this case, 24 women now, it's 24 as of this week, have filed suits in Harris County, Texas, alleging sexual misconduct and coercion against Deshaun Watson. Um, two of those include claims of sexual assault. Uh, we don't know what the, the timetable is for those lawsuits. Obviously, the grand jury uh, did not move forward a couple of weeks ago. That is what triggered the Browns to trade for him, give him $230 million, fully guaranteed, all of that. Stephen, what would you think? I thought there were a lot of like sh- shocking accounts from uh, the women that Jenny talked to. But for me, the most damning thing from this uh, from this piece, this New York Times piece, was the transcript from the deposition, I think it was, when yep. I think it was Tony Busby was asking Deshaun Watson how much he kind of looked into the, the therapist's skill set or background or qualifications when looking for new massage therapists. And Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson basically repeated that that was never a priority. And like, that's the whole thing right there. Like Nora said, this is a pattern and that's kind of shows the motivation for this pattern. And and the motivation wasn't getting a good massage. It was getting women into situations where he could take advantage of the power dynamics based on his own answers to uh, Busby's questions. And, and maybe this is a cynical way to look at it, but I feel like this, this, uh, this newest report looks worse for the Texans than, than it does yeah. Deshaun Watson. Like, we knew the extent of the, the, the allegations against Deshaun Watson. The new testimonies were kind of shocking. The new accounts, I should say, are kind of shocking. And I think a lot of people fix, were fixated on those. But the part about the, the Texan security uh, employee putting the NDA in Deshaun Watson's locker yeah. shortly after he was threatened to be exposed on Instagram by one of these massage therapists. I, I think that's like the darkest thing from the story. And I'm not one of those naive people that was shocked that the Texans were kind of kind of allowing this to happen or, or at least aiding Deshaun in some way. And it just makes me think about like what else is going on in this league for other players across the league that who's who may have some things, some demons that haven't been exposed yet. And it's just a terrible, terrible look for the NFL. And I I think it's going to continue to get worse. We don't know what the the Texans knew, right? The two pieces of their involvement were that there's a hotel, an athletic club called the Houstonian in Houston, where under the name of a trainer, they had secured a membership that Watson could go use. And that ended up being a space where a lot of these things allegedly happened. And I mean, we know the massages took place, so they definitely happened there. And 
the other piece was that after he'd spoken with this security guard that they employed, who's an ex-Secret Service agent, and mentioned that one of these therapists was posting on Instagram about something that had mm-hmm. happened with him and, and threatening to expose him, he comes back to his locker the next day or a couple days later and there's an NDA that's been slipped into his locker. So they could have not asked exactly what happened and exactly why he needed it, but there's sort of willful ignorance there at the very least. And the very most rises quite a bit further above that. So I I would imagine there's probably at least in sort of the vague ways the NFL acknowledges these things, the Texans probably become a slightly bigger part of the league's investigation now that we now that these things have, have come to light, I, I don't know, you know, how much they actually look into it in earnest, but it seems like that would be one meaningful change because I, to my knowledge, the Texans hadn't hadn't been a huge part of right. what the league was looking at. Yeah. And just just to and, clarify, that wasn't just Jenny's reporting saying uh, saying the NDA thing happened. Deshaun Watson confirmed it in his deposition. Yeah, in his deposition. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. Okay. So, Stephen, I agree with you. This is a huge um, black eye for the league, I would say. Um, and I think that this embarrasses them. And that's what that's in a lot of cases what forces them to act. I think that the defining thing of Roger Goodell's tenure was the Ray Rice incident and the underpunishment and then the overcorrection. And the fact that Roger Goodell came fairly close to either losing his job or at least getting into some meetings where there were there were talks about losing his job. I don't think it ever reached a formal stage. In fact, I, I know it didn't reach a formal stage, but at least there was some there was some media pressure um, and it was the closest he's ever come to losing his power in the NFL. And I think that that even eight years later, that still shapes his career and shapes the way he makes decisions. And I think that this is, uh, while a completely different uh, type of, of infraction, I think that it's it's similar in that if they levied a suspension next week based on what they know now, there is every possibility in the world seeing what we've seen over the past couple of months that more stuff could come out afterwards and he'd have to levy a different type of suspension. Um, and that obviously is what happened with Ray Rice when, when videotape evidence emerged and they went from, I believe it was two games to an indefinite suspension and basically Ray Rice's career was over. Um, and so I think if you handed down six games last week, this would have been a complete disaster for the league and Goodell would have been in the same boat. That's why I think that that Deshaun Watson doesn't play this year. And I'm leaning towards, when I read a report like this, it might end up being an indefinite suspension and we just don't know. Um, you know, obviously, Ben Roethlisberger a decade ago got six games, bought down to four. Zeke Elliott got six games. And th- these are the guys um, who were suspended without um, a criminal conviction. And so, or charges even, um, in Roethlisberger's case. And so I, I think that was the template m- most people were, were working off of. I think we're, we're working off, off of a different template now, Nora. Yes, I, I, I think so too. I'm really having a hard time with this one because I just don't, I, I, I feel strongly that we were already at the bar. But I take your point that it perhaps feels like less is happening just because they are taking a long time because more and more is, is coming out. Um, 
it really, I, it is Im- nearly impossible for me to look into my mind's eye and visualize him playing football for the Browns this year or really at any time. But again, they've, they've surprised us before. Yeah, I'd say. Um, Steven, the Browns have a complete nightmare on their hands that they brought on themselves. And I, I, I have no sympathy for the Browns for what they did because they, yeah. every team, bought, what, six, seven teams made legitimate offers the moment the grand jury didn't proceed and said, oh, situation over, when that was totally cynical, totally stupid, totally reckless for any team, for any team. And this is, you know, one of the things, I mean, Joe Person, who covers the Panthers, was saying, remember, he's not in Charlotte because he didn't pick Charlotte. It's not that the, that they made some moral moral judgment saying, no, 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 we can't go there. No, he didn't pick Charlotte. Okay? That's that's why he's not there. And so and there's Portland, a bunch of teams in that bucket. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Some of the teams in his division that, that, that made the call. So there's 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 a a problem in Cleveland now entirely of their own doing. The dead cap charge right now is $230 million. Next year, it's 219 The year after that, it's 164 I think generally, I mean, the word I used when, when they made this initial trade was reckless because you're on the hook now. You're the one who said you do your, you do your due diligence. And as, as whether you're Andrew Barry, Jimmy Haslam, whoever, you said you do your due diligence. Kevin Stefanski was asked about the 24th lawsuit the other day, and he said, well, we're going to let the process play out. I'm sorry, you can't do the coach speak no comment anymore. You can't do it. You cannot say we're going to let this this play out because this is urgent and serious and to the point that 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 you just can't say, you know, we're just going to, no, 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 we're gonna, this is a football, this is not, not a football matter. That's an off-the-field thing. We're not going to deal with that. You are dealing with it right now, Stephen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel no, I feel no, nothing for the Browns. I, I, if anything, it's just contempt. The way they handled the whole situation from the the structure of the contract, and I know Browns fans are have been quick to point out that all of their big contracts have small number cap hits in the first year, but none of them are fully guaranteed. So that inherently makes them different from every other contract the Browns have signed. Uh, none of them include protections uh, for the bonuses in the case that it gets suspended. So that makes them inherently different from the rest of the contract signed. So I, I do think, I think the whole league is complicit in this. Even the owners of the teams that didn't go after Deshaun Watson, I think they would have if they didn't have quarterbacks. And I think just by standing by and letting this this bidding war happen for a, a guy that had 22 pending civil cases at the time, now it's 24. I, I just think it's negligence at at, at best. I don't know. It's at just, best. it's bad. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I really, I'm losing faith in like the whole system now after reading Jenny's report. Like, it's not even just an NFL thing. It's like, how did these cases not, how did he not get charges in the state of Texas? How did they just but, overlook these charges in two different jurisdictions? It's, it's, if, it's rough. If we, uh, my, my expertise is not legal. It's in football. And let's just stick with the football thing here. How is there a system set up where within 24 hours of, of the grand jury now proceeding, he had the most leverage in the history of football? Nobody, exactly. the union, players, all of these pe- guys who are three years away from free agency have been begging for leverage for years. And the only person who got it was Deshaun Watson, who got the biggest guaranteed contract in history. The, the Browns basically paid $95 million to add one year to his deal. 
And I, I think this is, frankly, part of this is a media story because I think that the reaction to that, and not on this podcast, but but on other, um, I, I don't, it's not it's not to single anybody out actually um, because it, it was it was everybody, um, but I think that there was this it was it was treated as a football story that that bidding war was treated as a football story. I think the Browns probably looked around and said, you know what, there's not going to be a media drumbeat if we make this trade. They weren't expecting the Jenny Varentis report. They weren't expecting some of this you know, two more lawsuits. I mean, there were some reports yesterday that maybe that they they're, they're starting to get blindsided by some of these new ones, and that that maybe maybe some of these are a surprise, you know, at, in the last couple of weeks. But I think that when you looked at the, the the media temperature after the grand jury did not proceed, I think mo- I think the Browns probably thought that this would become a football story pretty quickly, Nora. That's embarrassing. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, I know. If that's like that's mortifying, that because it shows such a such an imbalance in how seriously you take the experiences of a famous and extremely talented football player who can help you versus sort of nameless, faceless women that you don't know and didn't bother to talk to, right? The Browns, we give a lot of props to generally as a smart and thoughtful organization. And I am with Steven. If I have only one finger to point here, it's not at any of the teams, but at the NFL for not just making this a situation that couldn't even come to pass just for Mm -hmm. putting him on the exempt list for not putting him on the exempt list and saying, look, we don't really trust you guys to not start a bidding war because you care about winning more than anything else. And you're incentivized to do that in a lot of ways. So we're taking it off the table. I think that is what should have happened. Mm-hmm. And after that, I, I, I don't excuse it, but I'm there's a part of me that's not surprised by what happened. But even so, because I have more than one finger to point here, Cleveland, who... Watson didn't want to go to initially until they upped the price and structured the contract differently so that he would be even more protected. Didn't bother to talk to a single person who a single one of the massage therapists, not mm-hmm. one. And so you can miss me with due diligence. It's 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 just mortifying. Like it, it it's mortifying. And and for me, I, I feel like the Browns can't play dumb with the, the 23rd and 24th lawsuits coming out after the fact. Because if that's the case, then you totally disregarded the nature of these allegations and everything that's been reported. I, I agree. There's no spreadsheet that says 22 is okay and 23 is too much. Right. There's two changes, I think, that have happened in the last 24 hours. Number one is that generally, generally, uh, Stephen, you're, you, you, you kind of have your finger on the pulse football internet as I try to do as well. Um, but we get, we get deep in the weeds on some of this stuff. Um, it seems to me like there aren't that many Browns fans who are digging in. And yeah. the ones who yeah. are getting kind of roasted by other Browns fans. It's like kind of like the but, same, like on Twitter, at least it's like the same handful of accounts that are in like the mentions of every report defending. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It just, it seems like there's a bit of a, of, of, of a sea change here. I, in, in that in that regard, with I think fan bases. Listen, everybody knows this. There is a a percentage of shitheads in every single fan base 
who would defend Deshaun Watson if the number was double uh, what, what it was now of lawsuits, right? That's just the way it goes. That's that's universal. There are shitheads in every corner of every industry, of every, I mean, especially on the internet. Now, if you've been on the internet, a lot of shitheads there. So you can't make it representative of anything, except I think that I'm seeing a lot of rational Browns fans, I would say. Um, and I think that 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 change has come in the last couple of weeks. The other thing is, Nora, you talked about giving props to the Browns. How we have, how we have in the past. I, I, I for good wrote, reason. Like I, no, I think for very good reason, and I don't necessarily. I, I am not I, naive I enough to think that the front office by itself was the driving factor in this acquisition. Just for yeah, the but record. Jimmy Haslam. Yes, we call Jimmy, them- Jimmy Haslam has always been in the front office. It's a scorpion and the frog thing. Like at some right. point, he was going to be Jimmy Haslam. Okay, right. like the, even if you if you if you load up the front office with with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and all these smart people, at some point Jimmy, ha- you're going to go, oh, Jimmy Haslam's still there. He's 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 been the owner for a decade, and sometimes he makes really really bad decisions. What I was going to say was that like I, I'm number one, you know, Browns front office guy. Like I I wrote a whole damn profile about it, and I, I honestly don't think you can give them props. I, for a long ass time, we can't sit here and say like, "Oh, they're so brilliant." They made one of the most reckless moves in the history of the modern NFL, and now and now we're seeing it. And we can talk all about risk and risk management and all the things they did and how did why they had to guarantee it and all that stuff and stuff we talked about in the first podcast. But there are a hell of a lot of organizations that we don't call geniuses who didn't even attempt to make the most reckless move in the history of modern football. And this is also, like, top like a, five. a lot of those. A lot of those things are just just BS. Like they didn't, they did not do due diligence. No. And if this and goes they said, they really said far south and them. they try to recoup some of that money, then the way that they would have to do that is by claiming that he lied to them. And that is, I mean, about what? Look, I think they, that they were would, only twenty two and not twenty three. Right. right. And I look if it if it saved them a dead cap charge in the hundreds of millions, I think they would gladly take the egg on their face for that if it came to it. But the egg would be there because, come on. Oh, well, we took his word for it and didn't bother to check with anybody else. Like, that's that's a tough sell. Anything else on this, Stephen and Nora? I, I mean, I don't think it would be that outlandish to start having conversations about whether Jimmy Haslam should be forced to sell the team, to be honest. I think mm-hmm. it's that that bad. And it, it's on that grand of a scale. I think the story is not going to get any smaller. I think it's going to transcend football if it hasn't already. This is going to be a bad look. And like you said, that's what the NFL cares about is these PR black eyes. This is this is going to be one, one of the biggest ones in the history of the league. Someone said this the other day, and I yesterday, and I actually, a couple people said it. But when it reaches the New York Times, Wall Street Journal level, that's when ownership starts caring. That's when, and if, if it's local papers, if it's even ESPN, if it's CBS, whatever, that's sports world to them. When it's a bombshell in, in the paper of record with 9 million subscribers, it's read by most important people in America. Um, that's when it reaches to the level of the NFL feels embarrassed and, and that they have to act. Uh, so I, yeah, it, it's, it's, I think they're 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 gonna De- Goodell is gonna default to over punishing instead of of, of under punishing in in my opinion. Um, He's not yeah, punishing I mean, Jimmy Haslam though. I don't think that's, I don't I don't I, I, I don't think it's gonna happen because then I mean also then what uh, 
what does that mean for Arthur Blank? What does that mean? Right. I agree. They won't punish Daniel Snyder in any meaningful way. That's true. Daniel Snyder should have been stripped of his team like a decade ago. And he gets suspended. He had a fake suspension for a year where he still showed up to games in hoodies and sweatpants. That's good. So they've created a precedent where ownership doesn't get punished. They're shielded from that. Well, that, I so, mean, that precedent is also called like employment, right? Like these are Rogers' yeah. bosses. Yes. Yes. And, and the owners, other ownership doesn't want to do it because other ownership, and this is just what I've heard. I mean, this is the Snyder thing. But it's like other ownership knows that that there's probably more shitheads than you think within the other. And even if you think there's a lot of shitheads within the upper upper ranks of the NFL, there's probably more. Um, and I just think that they 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 find it to be like, you know, hey, this could be any one of us. Um, so I think that they just don't want to punish owners in any meaningful way. And that's just sort of the way it's going to go. So I actually disagree with you on the uh, on the Jimmy Haslam thing. But. This is uh, an unbelievable mess. Uh, I don't. I don't know what happens from here. I would. I would be shocked um, if if he if he took a, a snap this year. And I don't. I don't know. I don't know what would have to happen for him to take a, a snap in twenty twenty three. I don't. I don't know how the, those games are covered when they, when they do eventually happen. I'm assuming he's eventually going to get to play again, whether it's the end of this year or next year. But I. I it's going to be strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, so we talked earlier about how the reception to this story has been pretty good in the sense that it doesn't seem like there are a ton of Browns fans that are dug in. I, I, I don't know if it will work, but it does seem like the other thing is that we are, are realizing that the case that Watson's team is going to start making and I would say that so far they've been making it fairly indelicately at least in public mm-hmm. is that this isn't that weird like that his behavior was sort of a gray area and quasi a thing that happens because we know the the number of massages the fact that there were accusations the fact that there was sexual contact like none of that is in is disputed so we're starting to see Rusty Harden start, you know, talking about, well, like, it's not that unusual. And it's a little gross and scary to think about how we're going to find out how effective that is. And yes, in the moment, it seems like a lot of people are responding to this and going, oh, my God, how could we possibly like, how could this guy possibly play? How could this this is totally unacceptable but i just i don't want to sound cynical here but i would i would caution against assuming that there aren't ways to spin a story where if that happens and somehow he's playing he's playing well it was surprising that the initial signing and the the bidding war became just a football story so quickly i i just again like it i don't I guess I'm sort of guarding myself against it happening again by saying I'm just not convinced that it couldn't happen again, unfortunately. And, and to your point, I, I feel like a couple of his teammates have already come out and kind of vouched for him personally. Yeah. Just, yes. just like, oh, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He hasn't done anything to me in the two weeks we've been teammates. But I, And I think that's going to make it easier for him to kind of 
rehabilitate himself. I don't know, for lack of a better term. Uh, if the if the players in the locker room aren't making a big deal about it, he's going to be insulated from... I mean, there's going to be fans every Sunday, but he's not going to see that every day going to work. And I think it's going to be make it easier, make his transition back into the NFL easier. And that's... Yeah, I think that's it's it's a cynical way to look at it, but I think it's the most realistic outcome. I think it like being good at football is a very good way to rehabilitate your image, but we're not there yet. So this episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. So let's sort of move on here. Um, and. We'll change tones a little bit here uh, because this is a different type of news. Denver Broncos were sold on Tuesday night for apparently $4.6 billion, according to the NFL <laughs> Network, to the Walton Penner family, uh, the Waltons of Walmart fame, a, a cousin by marriage to Stan Kroenke. And uh, I believe by net worth, they make Stan Kroenke look like a broke boy. So congratulations to the, the, the Walton Penner family. Um, this changes a lot about that franchise, which from from what I understand was a bit of a rudderless ship waiting for, for ownership. And you hear a lot of things about how there was just not a lot of direction. They were waiting around. Front office was kind of, you know, they'd made some changes post John Elway. Uh, John Elway, I think, is an advisor there now. Uh, but the, the, end, the end game of, of, of Elway being there was, was not going well. They needed a new owner. They needed a direction. They needed someone to tell them what to do, get some fresh blood in there. Uh, Melody Hobson uh, is also a part of the ownership group, um, co-CEO of Aerial Investments. Big F1 fan, by the way, uh, goes with her husband, George Lucas, all the time. Um, Nora, how does this change the Denver Broncos? Well, it's probably it probably changes them to operate at least somewhat in the... Rams image, right? Like if if I had Mm -hmm. to guess, you take some sort of organizational tendencies and and philosophies from what's worked in LA. So you have new, incredibly deep pocketed ownership and their closest contacts in the league run a team that is known for being hyper aggressive about acquisitions and just 
going all out. And we've seen the Broncos behave a little bit like that just this past offseason, obviously, with Russell Wilson. I would be surprised if they don't sort of continue on that path. Steven, Broncos? I mean, I think at the very least it gives them a fresh outlook. Uh, I think there is a danger when you have sort of these like legacy ownerships like Pat Bolin was, uh, I think he might may have made the Hall of Fame or he's a candidate every year, it seems. Uh, he passed away and then his son took over. Our, it's like a family thing. And with it. it was really it was just Joe Ellis, the team president, was kind of running the show. And then there was a couple of bits of drama about who would get that. Right. Um, and so it was it was it, there wasn't really a, a bowl in running anything. Right. But I feel like there's like it's easy when you've been a part of an organization that has had past success to kind of yes. rely on that past success yes. and try to take lessons from it that aren't necessarily applicable. And I think having a new owner will help them kind of separate themselves from like the John Elway era, which even beyond his playing career when he became the GM, I think was still kind of hurting the team because it seemed like he was trying to find a quarterback in his image and that set the team back for years. So I, I do think that's a good thing. It's so hard to predict like how these owners are going to run the team, but if they do adopt the Rams, some of the Rams philosophies, I think that's better for the league because the Rams are definitely one of the biggest drivers of news these days. <laughs> for content. Um, this helps Russell Wilson, honestly, because when, when that trade went down, I was a little bit worried about where the direction of the franchise was going to go, how long the sale was going to take, because there have been courtroom dramas. There, there have been all sorts of things with the Broncos over the past couple of years. And it's been a little yeah. more dysfunctional than maybe anybody outside of Denver realized. And so this, to me, helps Russell Wilson because these guys are going to spend. They're going to understand probably what it takes. Um, hopefully, you know, they, listen, they have a, a good front office already. It came from Minnesota, George Payton. Like, th those guys are smart. So they can kind of tell the Walton Penner family what to do, how to do it. They'll probably bring in more football people. So I, 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 the direction of this franchise with Russell Wilson makes me feel a lot better. I don't think this is a 2022 thing. I think it's more of a 2024 thing. But Russell Wilson's career is going to end up better. I mean, listen, he's coming from Seattle which also doesn't really have a permanent owner. Um, after the death of Paul Allen, um, Jody Allen owns the team, but I guess in the, in the will that they're, they, they basically have to sell it at some point. She has to sell it. So um, there's sort of drama there. So he was going from, from one place without a clear direction to another. And now the place he is at least has, uh, has a direction. I think this is going to only benefit him. The roster is good. I think we're looking at, at a maybe once again crown jewel franchise of football in two years. I this am is pretty irrelevant, but I guess a, a sub, sub, sub takeaway is probably that Stan Kroenke gets at least one in the supportive column for him not having to pay the entire fee for the St. Louis thing. That's, oh, that's yeah. Or maybe or not. not. I don't or know. Not. Maybe like maybe there's tension. Who's to say? He's trying to build numbers. It's like a, like a survival That would actually situation. be incredible. That would be incredible. I need somebody to do that reporting. How do we feel about this move for Nathaniel Hackett, my favorite uh, sitcom dad of a coach? Um, so can we break this down real quick? So Nathaniel Hackett, he, he's extremely, he feels extremely online to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because if he was online, I feel like he would get made fun of a lot more for his his. No, his like the online of like would... of like uh, online of like 2005. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. No, farc. like very like e bombs world. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah, 
he knows all the memes from like 2008. He knows all the funniest videos. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. So, so I have this theory that everybody who's a head coach in the NFL stopped listening to new music when they became a coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if you just look at the year, because they stopped consuming everything, they just get too busy once you're a coordinator. If you're a linebacker's coach or, or a running back's coach, you, could, you, you got time to go see Top Gun or whatever. But when you're a head coach, you don't have that time. And so I, like, uh, like I, I shared this theory one time and then someone shared with me that Kyle Shanahan's son is allegedly named after Lil Wayne. And if you track when he Harder. became a coordinator, it, it tracks almost exactly with when he became a coordinator. Like he just, he's like, I'm good. Lil Wayne is my favorite artist. I don't need to proceed. I'm all set. I don't need to know about Lil Yachty. Okay. Like that we don't, we're, we're all set because I've become a coordinator. Um, Maybe with Nathaniel Hackett, we're entering a new zone, which is that you stop processing new memes by the time you're a coordinator. No, I think you're dead on. I think you're spot on. Like the last, last time you logged the, on, the last movie he saw in theaters is is like Borat, and he hasn't stopped doing the impression <laughs> ever since. Wait, so I actually I've only met Hackett twice. I actually quite like him, and I actually think he's got. I guess he's got some connection um, with Russell Wilson. It seems on the front end, those guys are both relentlessly positive to the point that maybe it annoys cynical people like you and I, Stephen. Yes. Um, but uh, I, I do think that this this can work. And I think, listen, Nathaniel Hackett was with Rodgers for a long time. He Remember, he was the coordinator of that Bortles team that got to the AFC Championship game. He's worked miracles. And um, I think that sometimes when you when you uh, deal with a, with a bad quarterback like that, your stock can rise and fall depending on on what what that looks like. He was obviously under an offensive head coach in Green Bay, um, so I, I don't know. I I feel like it's about time for for Hackett. I think that he got the job at the right time, and I think this can work. Are the Broncos going to be good, Nora? Wait, hold on. Can I tell you something else? Yes. So Kyle Shanahan's son is named Carter, and uh-huh. I guess this was publicized enough. So that Lil Wayne sent him autographed copies of the Carter three and or no, sent him and Carter autographed copies of mm. the Carter three. Um, and <laughs> he wrote in a note to Kyle Shanahan, uh, like, I appreciate the honor. I have three boys of my own and only one is named after me. LOL to Carter. He wrote, you were amazing from day one. That's true. Which is an incredible message to write to a baby. You're amazing from day one, Carter. I'll go risky. What if he turns out to be like a, a, a not a great person? Then you're on record. I, I I think Lil Wayne's okay. I think he can move gonna on. Gonna be fine. That. I'm sorry that that just made my day. So I needed to share. What was the question? Are the Broncos going to be good? Ah, uh, yeah, yep. they'll be good. They'll be good. I don't know if they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I think they will be a good team. Yes. Steven, all, uh, your feelings about Nathaniel Hackett's press conferences aside and the fact that he says tutty instead of touchdowns aside? No, that's a big deal. I think it matters. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, it's like the biggest deal. It's the only thing that matters. Uh, I would say like they're going to win nine games. Nine games. Maybe ten. Maybe eight. That feels right. That feels right. See, I I was just, I, I'm more in the like 10 or 11 camp. I think nine to 10. I'm going to split the difference here. What were you going to say, Steven? They're going to be the new Seahawks. Like they're going to hover around ten wins yeah. every year, one and done in the playoffs. Like that, I think Russ took the Seahawks weirdness with him to Denver. 
Uh, well, I mean, I agree, but I mean, but, but I think the Seahawks' weirdness was rooted in the fact that they just played a brand of, of football that made Russell have to bail them out in the fourth quarter. That's why there was weirdness. I did a whole, I, I actually reported a bit on this. And it's basically that they, they, their entire system was set up on Russell Wilson making plays with four minutes to go and, and keeping the game close before that for, for 52 minutes, 56 minutes. And so I think that if they just have a different mindset, and I think Hackett does from Pete Carroll, I don't know if there'll be that same weirdness. But they had multiple offensive coordinators and it always reverted back to the same thing. And there's one common denominator and it's the, the weirdest quarterback in the NFL in terms of play well, style. What about Pete Carroll is also weird. I don't think he's weird. I think he's a normal NFL. Oh, head I coach. think he's weird. No, I I mean, yes, beyond I say the that with love. Field. I love Pete Carroll. But Russell Wilson is a quarterback that thrives in chaotic situations. So it makes sense that the Seahawks leaned into his, his the chaos. And I think the Broncos are not gonna have a choice but to do that. They tried to hire a McVeigh coach last year, and by they I mean the Seahawks, and it just turned up it turned out being the same offense that Russell Wilson always runs. I think it's going to happen again in Denver, and they're going to be another weird team. Danny Chaos Kelly was the trying to tell that me Russell about Russell Wilson climbed to see over his center. <laughs> right. Oh. Sorry, um, that was mean. Danny Kelly kept trying to tell me about layups last year in this Shane Waldron offense. I didn't see any of them. No, it was a bunch of uh, logo threes. <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing before we get out of here, Aaron Donald signs. A new contract, which from what I understand, talking to the cap guys and listening to some of the, the cap people, um, experts out there, it's unprecedented to really, I mean, it, there are a couple of different ways that you can restructure a contract. This is pretty new. Essentially, they did not add any years. Uh, they gave him a $40 million raise over the last three years of his existing contract. The reworked deal brings a total value of Donald's contract to $95 million over three years. This sort of dovetails or ends the retirement rumors that had started before the Super Bowl. Frankly, whether or not those were real is um, or was just a bargaining chip. Guys, it's immaterial now, um, but this is well-deserved. Sean McVay had said this was moving in the right direction a couple of weeks ago. It was. Uh, I don't see any problem with giving a ton of money to to the anchor of your defense and one of the best players in the history of football, Stephen? No, I think this is a good thing. And I think this is the Rams furthering the strategy of becoming like the most player-friendly team in the league. Like it seems like they are have become a destination spot for disgruntled players and they pay their players. They take care of them. And I think other players around the league see this. They see Aaron Donald just getting a raise just for the hell of it. Like it, it, I know he kind of threatened retirement. Like you said, he's getting a $40 million raise and like it's not really helping the Rams too much in the short term. I think it's a smart move. And I do think that's one of the fair criticisms of like the the salary cap uh, analytics people who will who will question a deal for like a superstar player if he plays at a position that isn't necessarily valuable. I do think moves like the like this even if they aren't the most true, like from a financial standpoint, I think they do matter and they do help the team in the long run. I also think there's a difference between like interior defensive linemen and interior defensive linemen who's also Aaron Donald and also plays for the Rams who run a defense that absolutely needs that. And when that need is not only being met, but being exceeded by like maybe the best pure player at any right. like regardless of position in the NFL it's kind of like I don't know if we should be quibbling about 
positional value in this case. No. No, like you can't go wrong paying superstars, no matter what position yep. they pay. You can't go wrong. Uh, did we see Cam Hayward's uh, comment about how people need to stop saying it's just Aaron Donald? It's we Cam we did. Hayward. We did see them. Oof. The confidence on that guy. Yeah, I actually kind of uh, respect it. I kind of respect it too. I, I I feel like when we when we're talking about three point shooters, we have to when we talk about Steph Curry, we have to mention Steven Ruiz too. We have to mention a lot of people haven't seen my pickup games, but if you saw, I'm I'm just like Steph Curry. Oh brother! Uh, listen, Cam Hayward deserves to be paid too. I I, I don't think this is going to move the market as much as some people have said. Okay, maybe the non quarterback market because he's the highest paid non quarterback of all time. Maybe no. this moves something. I I think this is this is about being the best player in football. Like, yes, you can get paid. Aaron Donald is a unicorn. If you're the best player in football. The best defensive player in the history of the league. I'm willing to say that now. Uh-oh. Bill Belichick's going to get really mad at you about Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But Bill Belichick has these like weird affinities for like these weird players. I, I know Lawrence weird. Taylor does not fall into that category. Lawrence Taylor's weird. Oh, my God. No, I said oh I know God. LT doesn't fall into that category. But if you Gaston ask... Gaston oh no ball. If you ask him about like weird. if you ask him about like Dave Meggett, he'll like tell you like he was the greatest running back in the in of the nineties or something. No, that's sad. I, Belichick's probably in Annapolis right now doing some lacrosse thing, and he's just driving down right now just to beat you up. <laughs> just driving the Bill short. Bill Belichick comes on the regular NFL show to fight you, Steven would, about Lawrence Taylor being weird. Would you rather fight a, a Bill Belichick in your car every day, or fight Mike Vrabel <laughs> with a sword once a year? This has been their Wait, NFL the show on their podcast. The fight place right. inside a car? Uh, yeah, you that's didn't see the chicken meme? No. The prop? No, we missed that. Oh, no. sorry. What it is was, it? Would you rather uh, fight a chicken in your car every day? Every time you start your car, you have to fight, fight a chicken. Or would you rather fight an orangutan with a sword once a year? Chicken. Right. The answer is the chicken. And the answer is Bill Belichick, too. Of the- did you see of the, the video guy of him getting, was in a, yeah. getting getting uh, grabbed by an orangutan yeah. yesterday and he wouldn't let him go? That was yeah. outrageous. A lot the of guy people did not. He was so focused. The orangutan of, was so focused. Yeah, yeah, a lot the of people pointed to that as proof that the orangutan with the sword is the wrong answer. It's the chicken. So the orangutan also has the sword. Yeah, I think. Does I don't the, know. I, I, I guess the only right thing there. is, I don't right think there. an orangutan really knows how, yes. how to use the, I, a sword. I'd rather fight an orangutan with a sword than without a sword. I don't think that the orangutan with the sword. Yeah, knows I'm not doing do. hand to hand combat with an orangutan. Something in its hands. I think something in its hands might actually help you because it doesn't really know what it's doing. Uh, like it, it, it probably would recognize that it's that the sword is in some ways similar to a stick, but like I don't think it's going to have the concept of slicing. Can we can I, we replace I, Cooper I Cup with like an orangutan expert who can answer these questions for us? I and we can ask Cooper Cup, and then we uh, have to they, ask the orangutan expert Solax question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think that that's I I I think that the orangutan thing, like that video, that guy was not even like try, He was just trying to get away. I think if he just he'd given him a little push or something, it it could have gone better. That guy was just yelling. And just letting his also, how, what kind of shirt doesn't rip when an orangutan starts pulling on it from ten feet away? It's a good I shirt. Know. Must it, have been some sort of like athletic. 
So are you questioning? You're basically saying orangutans don't know ball here. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm built different than that guy. Orangutans, <laughs> orangutans don't know ball is what Kevin's saying. The orangutans know ball. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm flipping it. I'm saying the guy didn't know oh, how to get away from an orangutan. Yeah, I'm say not that. saying I would defeat an orangutan. I'm saying I'd do better than that guy. You basically like, said you know, I would simply have pushed it away. Like that, like that was going like, to... I would I would have just at least, I would have delivered a little bit of, of offense is what I'm saying. That guy didn't. Yeah. I'm not like, you know, the old thing about how like if you're being chased by a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear. You have to outrun the other guy. Like that guy was getting rocked and I would have simply gotten, I would have been better than that guy. That's all I'm saying. That's the only thing okay. that you better than that spot. This has been the Ring Runner Fellowship Network Podcast Network. Thank you to Stefania, sir, for the production up with additional productions provisioned by Arjuna Ramkapal. We will see you on Friday.